How powerful that is. Thank you, Christine, for the beautiful song and your beautiful words before. What a wonderful message. According to um, the Christian History Institute, a man named George Bernard uh, was struggling with some personal issues in his life that were causing him a great deal of anxiety. And in his suffering, his mind turned again and again to the anguish that Christ experienced on the cross. This, he thought, was the heart of the gospel. And the cross that he pictured in his mind, the cross that he, that he brought up in his mind, was not an ornate thing like we see sometimes hanging on walls or around people's necks. It was not pretty or gold or silver or anything like that. It was a rough, splintery thing, stained with gore. You see, George Bernard was under the influence of our scripture for today. He said, I saw the Christ, the Christ of the cross as if I were seeing John 3.16 leave the printed page, take form, and act out the meaning of redemption. We all know John 3.16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so in a room in Albion, Michigan, George Bernard sat down and he wrote a tune But he struggled with words. He struggled with the lyrics for weeks, as a matter of fact. And then then Bernard, who was a Methodist evangelist, by the way, he was scheduled to preach a series of, of sermons in New York. And he found himself once again focusing on the cross. And that was the theme of his messages. And that the theme of the cross grew more and more urgent to him. And he struggled once again with the words to his hymn. And this time they came. He later told a friend, I sat down and immediately was able to rewrite the stanzas of the song without so much as one word failing to fall into place. I called my wife, took out my guitar, and sang the complete song to her, and she was thrilled. And so on June the 7th, 1913, George Bernard introduced a new hymn at a revival meeting that he was conducting in Michigan. And the words went like this. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. The old rugged cross became one of the most popular hymns of the 20th century. We sang it just a few moments ago, and that was not by accident. I asked Felicia to sing it today. But what impressed me was how Bernard struggled to bring his feelings about the cross to the printed page. Remember what he said? I saw the Christ of the cross 
as if I were seeing John 3.16, leave the printed page, take form, and act out the meaning of redemption. That one verse in the Bible has had that effect on so many people over history. Martin Luther called it the gospel in miniature. If, if all you had of the New Testament, he, he said, was this one verse, it would be enough to save your soul. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We've heard this beautiful verse so so often in our lives that we may be tempted to, to take it for granted. But have you, have you ever thought about what it would mean if you changed just one or two key words in this sentence? Let's think about that for a minute. Let's change one verb, for example. For God so rejected the world. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? Nearly happened in the story of Noah, you remember? God almost rejected the world, but instead God placed a rainbow in the sky as a symbol of the covenant that God made with humanity and the promise that he would never flood the earth again. But that's how it could have read. God so rejected the world. Or we could change the first noun. It could read, for God so loved Israel. That's, that's what a lot of the Israelites believed. They believed that, that since they were God's chosen people, that meant that, that God loved them more than God loved the other people on the earth. And the prophets spent a lot of time reminding them that they were, they were chosen to be a light to other people and not that God loved them anymore. And, the, and of course, the verse could have read, For God so loved America. And unfortunately, some people act like God loves us more than God loves others. But that's not how the verse reads, is it? does it? God doesn't love us any more than God loves anybody else in the world. Or it could have read, for God so loved nice people. It doesn't read like that. It says, God so loved the world. And do you know who that is? That's everybody. The rich, the poor, the beautiful, the ugly, the saint, the sinner, everybody. Or we could tinker with the second half of that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave it a stern warning. And God did that a lot in the Old Testament. He gave a lot of stern warnings in the Old Testament, but they they rarely did any good. People still went on doing their own thing and going their own way. And and the fact is that nothing made much of a difference until God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Or how about if we just change the last few words? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to tell us how happy and comfortable life is. That one sounds pretty good, and I'm sure a whole lot more people would become Christians if we could have that as our motto. That's not what it says. 
This morning we're going to spend some time with this little verse. We've already spent a lot of time on this verse, haven't we? But that's okay. Listen again to this verse and think about what a difference it would make if even one word were changed. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Today we are a week and a half into the season of Lent. Last week we began by talking about our need to be real in our faith, our need to be genuine in our faith. And this week we want to focus on one particular aspect of God's character, and that's God's love. And let me begin by saying that there is nothing in this entire universe that can compare with God's love. Some of you are probably fans of actress and singer Cher. She's been around for a long time, hasn't she? She was, a, she was around when I was a little kid, you know. She's been around for a long time. but She, she still looks great, doesn't she? Well, that's not by accident. (laughs) Cher likes to make fun of her many plastic surgeries and her beauty treatments. And she says, here's what she says. She says, I'm the female equivalent of a counterfeit $20 bill. Half of what what you see is pretty darn good, a a pretty darn good reproduction. The rest is a fraud. (laughs) And really, I think that those words could probably describe human love, especially when we compare it to God's love. Because you see, when we compare human love, which is full of selfishness and pettiness and prejudice, and we compare that to God's holy, sacrificial, unending love, we immediately see that human love is often a counterfeit love. Half of it's pretty darn good reproduction and the rest of it's a fraud. So how do we measure what real love is? John 3.16 is what real love is all about. For God so loved the world. This verse begins by announcing that God loved All of us, even before we loved God. Now, it would be nice if it said that we loved God first. But it doesn't. Truth is that that we human beings are actually not very good at this thing called love. And it's not that we don't mean well, but... But if there's one lesson from human history, it, it, it is that we can, we can hate just as easily as we can love. And we can even hate in the name of the one whose very nature is love. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that's probably the saddest thing of all to our loving God. There's another place in John's writing in which he says something very profound about love. In 1 John 4, 8, he says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then two verses later, he says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us 
Now think about that for a moment. Whoever does not love everybody does not know God. It always amazes me to discover how often people have hated in the name of God. And they certainly can't justify that that kind of behavior from anything in the New Testament. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, how Paul wrote, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm just making a bunch of noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I have away to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I don't get anything from that. Folks, this is what the gospel is all about. Love. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. God is the measure of real love, and it is only by God's Spirit, that Spirit that Christine was talking about a moment ago, it is only by God's Spirit that we are able to know and to share real love. God loved us before we were even capable of loving God in return. And you know, that's always a risk, isn't it? Yeah, Couples being the first one express love to one another. It's always kind of hard to do that, to put your heart out there and, and hope that the other person feels the same way. Um, but God didn't wait for us to love God. In fact, I think God probably knew that we would break God's heart. And God loved us anyway, knowing full well that we would never be able to return God's love in the same way. You see, God's love is really, really, really unconditional. A very compassionate woman named Renee Denfield adopted a little girl from foster care, and then three three years later, a caseworker called and, and said she had another child that Renee might be interested in. He was just a toddler at, at the time, but he'd already suffered a great deal in his life. A little boy is named Tony, and he'd been bounced around from one foster home to the next, and and it showed his rage and his acting out was just too much for, for most families to handle, and that's why they passed him around from one family to the next. But the caseworker believed that Renee, who grew up in an abusive family herself, she believed that Renee had the love and the toughness that she needed to get through to this scared little boy. Tony was destructive. He was unpredictable. He lashed out at anybody and everybody who tried to love him. And as Renee wrote in an article, she said, when, when he raged, I told him I loved him. I told him over 
and over and over. Every time he acted out, I told him I loved him. And Renee says that it took years before Tony's rages began to subside. But then one day she said he was playing on the floor when, when suddenly he just looked up at me and said, You brought me home. I love you too. How long did Renee have to wait to hear those words? How many temper tantrums, how many destructive outbursts did she have to endure? Really didn't matter because she was determined to love Tony even if he could never love her back. Notice that John 3:16 doesn't say for God so loved the world uh, God, for God so loved good people who love God back. That's not what it says. It says for God so loved the world. No limitations. No exclusions, no maybes, no fine points, no fine print. Are you a part of the world? I, I think so. Some of you. <laughs> you know what that means? It means that you are completely lovable in the eyes of God. God loved us first. That's the first thing we need to see today. And here's a sec. This verse also tells us how much God loves us. God loves us so much that God gave us God's most precious gift. His son. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, I love you. People say it. All the time, and sometimes they even mean it. But it is something altogether different to put that love into action. John Robert Fox was an artillery officer who served in the United States Army during World War II. And in December 1944, he and his unit were assigned to patrol an area of Tuscany in Italy that had been overrun by Nazi soldiers. The residents of this village had already fled, and so Fox hid himself in an abandoned house and reported to their, their fellow soldiers back at base camp on the movement of the, the Nazi troops. So imagine the surprise of Fox's fellow soldiers at base camp when he radioed a set of bombing coordinates to them that were very close to where he was hiding. In fact, the gunner who received the order deliberately changed the coordinates a little bit to protect Fox. And so a second time, he radioed in and ordered the gunner to bomb the coordinates that he had sent them. And the gunner argued with Fox. It's too close to where you're hiding. He was putting himself in danger. And so Fox radioed back a third time, and he made it clear to the gunner that he knew what he was doing. The house he was hiding in was surrounded by Nazis. And John Robert Fox's last words were, fire it. There are more of them than there are of us. 
Fox was laying down his life to defeat the Nazi troops. And so the gunner ordered the bombing of that strike. And Fox was killed. The sacrifice gave the American troops time to regroup and to launch a successful counterattack. And in 1997, John Robert Fox was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his gallant and courageous actions at the supreme sacrifice of his own life. To give up your own life to ensure that others could live, is there any greater love than that? God loved us first. God loved us enough that he gave his one and only son. But why did he give us his son? That whosoever believes in him might never perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe in him? I mean, really believe in him? Do you trust in God? Would you be willing to give your life for him as he did for you? As we said earlier, it's easy to say I love you, but it's something else altogether to put love into action. So how do you describe a love that is unearned, undeserved, given freely and generously and sacrificially for the sake of everyone, whether they can return that love or not? That's God's love. And I got to tell you, folks, that God had a million reasons to condemn the world. But God didn't do that. Instead, God saved the world by giving the absolute greatest gift that God could give. And God made us a promise that whoever believes, yes, whoever believes in God's Son, will not perish but have eternal life. Have you accepted that promise in your life today? You are a part of the everybody that God loves so much that God was willing to die for you. Let that sink in for a minute. And think about how you should properly respond to such overwhelming, tremendous unconditional love. Amen. Let us continue our focus on the love of God and just how expansive that is and how unconditional that is and just how that is demonstrated for us by surveying the wondrous cross of Christ.